without guns and we expect the same from you. Batman, look out! The third one is another gun? Ooh, ooh. Not a gun, boy wonder. Uh, Something uh, far more useful. Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying? the most horrible way to die. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. following program may contain mature subject matter. Discretion is advised. Good morning. I'm here. For those of you who do podcasting, streaming, you know, influencing on the internet and whatnot, do you ever find that when you've been away for a while, when you come back, sort of like, how do you get the creative process going again? Yeah, kind of dealing with that. I mean... Here we go. We meet again. Hmm, I see. But yeah, I know most of you are probably like, Jesus, Paul, can't you ever do anything on fucking time? To which I say to you all, A wizard is never late. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. So suck on that. Ha. Just kidding, boils and ghoulies. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 124, finally, from... What lurks behind behind Podcast Zero? Zero. And yes, I am your host, Postmortem Paul. Back again, finally. Uh, yeah, lots to unpack since the show last aired. Well, uh, when I did my nutty basket case review, um, the episode of Stranger Things Season 4, where it was kind of like my brain just went batshit nuts. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, it's supposed to be a Season 4 review. Can you really call it that? Because it seemed like I was all over the place but some of it was coherent i mean i've since gone back and watched some of the episodes again and i've noticed things now that i didn't catch the first time like i mean probably the most glaring thing was watching episode one again and realizing first off now i know when the whole thing between 11 and number one happened because it actually says it right in the very first fucking what 30 seconds of the the episode and it was like wow that got by me the first time uh but that happened in 1979 so that has nothing to do with the november 6 1983 thing that is a completely different thing but here when we see brenner at the beginning of episode one spoilers by the way if you still haven't watched stranger things season four fuck you i don't care anymore um (laughs) come on now like it's been out for a month if you haven't watched by now might be on you that's a you problem not a me problem anymore uh but yeah 
when Brenner walks in into in, the room and there's all the slaughtered kids and Eleven's got the blood on her face and whatnot, and Brenner says, what did you do? If you actually look behind Eleven, the crack in the wall where she sent Vecna through, or like, you know, number one through to the upside down, it's right behind her. And I never noticed that the first time I watched it. And I go back and I watch episode one of season four again after, and I'm like, oh, so that was right fucking there the whole time. And it's, it's those little things. When you go back and watch it a second time, it's like, oh, like it, you totally realize things you didn't see the first time around because you weren't looking for it. I mean, it, it was unpacking in front of you. And anyways, I mean, there was a lot of things I did catch, but there was a lot of Easter eggs I didn't catch that I'm catching now and stuff. Anyways, you get the point. Um, so, yeah. Finally, episode 124 is happening. Yes, this week we are talking about the movie Deranged from 1974. Before that, though, okay, yeah, I did a lot of TV watching and movie watching, and I've been sort of all over the place. The Obi-Wan series, not going to get into it, but I didn't mind it. There's things I didn't care for, but there was things that I did enjoy. Um, hey, man, we get Star Wars. You get Ewan McGregor playing Obi-Wan again. I'm okay with this. I, I like his performance as Obi-Wan. Hayden Christensen as Darth Vader? A little bit better now. I also noticed with James Earl Jones doing the voice, for some reason, oh, and I think it was Rogue One, he sounded really old when he talked, and this, they sort of like dialed back the voice to sound almost like Darth Vader from Star Wars, the first movie. I know you got you kids today call it a new hope. My old grandfather age, we called it Star Wars. <laughs> um, but yeah, like his voice seemed more in tune with that now. I, I think it was Rogue One, or I don't think it was Rebels. It might have been Star Wars Rebels. So anyways, whatever. I've watched too much Star Wars shit to keep track of what's what and who's who and where's where. But <laughs> um, yeah, Obi-Wan is what it is. Um, I did watch, though, on Shudder, I watched the movie The Shed. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about it because I think that's one I eventually want to review on this show. I will say it's a wonderful little vampire flick that I waited way too long to watch. I wish I, you know, that's my big regret from the film is that I waited too long to watch it. Uh, luckily enough, I didn't have much spoiled for me, so it was kind of cool. Great acting, fast-paced story, uh, great score, and the score is on Shutter, and I believe it's been released on vinyl through, I want to say, Enjoy the Ride Records. Could be wrong on that. Um, good use of tension, just enough comedy to give it a bit of levity and whatnot. It, it's a great flick. It's a must-watch for horror fans. I wish I hadn't waited so long to watch it. It came out in 2019. I think that was actually when it premiered on Shudder, and I just sort of... I remember marking it, and I never went back to it. So a couple weeks ago, I finally kicked into it, and I was like, not a bad movie. Another one that I finally kicked into, Await Further Instructions from 2018. Interesting little science fiction, horror, dark comedy flick. Uh, takes place at Christmas, although Christmas is kind of like the least part of the story. I mean, it's there for the fact that that's why this family gets together. Um, aside from the two leads, the two lead actors in the film, every character in the movie was pretty much deplorable <laughs> uh, in every way possible. To the point where... I guess it's a good thing because it did pull me into the movie. Like, it had me actually yelling at the characters at the TV. Like, I'd be like, you're a fucking piece of shit. And what an asshole. What a racist. Like, it was... But they played it well. I have to say that. The acting was actually really good because it was pissing me off watching the movie. 
Um, I guess it's also a good thing, though, because then the payoff at the end is actually really good because of it. Probably because you hate the characters so much that when they get their comeuppance, it's like, yeah, fuck you. Um, great use of satire uh, used in the flick as well. So, I mean, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, why Again, why some of these movies take me so long to get to? I know, like... Every horror movie fan will tell you the same thing. They have a list that's a mile long. <laughs> like, you know, I've got my list of movies to watch. It's like book readers. You know, people that like to read a lot of books, they've got a list. They've got a stack, you know. Uh, horror movie fans, it's a stack of Blu-rays. Um, I'm even seeing this now with vinyl collectors. Like, I, I'm in a couple groups on social media or whatnot that, you know, they actually aren't annoying to be in. <laughs> which is weird because social media pretty much overall is annoying these days. But anyways, uh, there's like a Waxwork Records group and whatnot. And it's it's just interesting, though, when I see people saying they have a stack of records they still need to listen to. I'm like, is that really a thing? Like, I don't know. I guess it, it is, though. Like, for me personally, I get a record. It's like, boom, it's plopped on the platter and I'm playing it right away. But maybe some people, you know, they... Maybe they have like 10 show up at once. And I mean, you can only listen to so much. <laughs> I say this. You can only listen to so much music in one day, but that's a load of bullshit because I can have a radio on all fucking day long. Anyways, you get my point. Some of these movies that I talk about, it's like, wow, Paul, you're a few years behind. Yeah, I, I will get to them eventually. I, I sort of hate that too, though, because people sometimes will assume that you've seen everything or that you see everything the second it comes out. And it's like, Yo, slowly roll, man. I, I there's movies that are dated back to the 30s and 40s I still haven't touched yet. So <laughs> give me a break, will you? Okay. Um, there's one other movie that I actually watched. I'm not talking about it though this week because hey, guess what? I'm gonna announce this now. Episode 125. I know you're like Paul. It took you too fucking long to do 124. Why are you talking about 125? I am because. The next movie I'm doing is Mad God. Okay, this needs a fucking review. But anyways, I'm not going to talk about anything with that because no. Because I need to save all of that for the next episode. But I will say that also one other thing that I did kick off my list finally was Midnight Mass from Netflix. It's uh, the Mike Flanagan series. Mike Flanagan, the guy responsible for, you know, Dr. Sleep and House of Haunted Hill, House of Bly Manor and whatnot. Well, he gave us Midnight Mass and again, something that took me a bit to get to. I finally got to it. Hey, give me time. Uh, how did I feel about it? So very slow burn. Let's say that. A lot of dialogue. There's a lot of talkiness to this um, series, which actually I think... Was it episode five, I think? I really almost wondered if I was going to finish because it just seemed like it was just so much talking. I get why it's there. I will say that. I, I understand why there's a lot of talking because you kind of need the talky, you know, the dialogue things to to get a connection to the characters. So when things later on happen, it affects you. And I get that. But sometimes it was like some of these characters were having like 10 minute monologues. It was like, please stop. But I will say it's a great spin on a vampire genre. Uh, yeah, vampires. <laughs> you wouldn't have known it, right? But yeah, it's it deals with vampires. Um, it's a great story. Um, 
great themes of like or very strong themes I should say of grief, loss, uh, faith. Obviously, faith and religion are a big part of this. Uh, religious addiction and perversion, like there's being religious and then there's taking it fucking overboard. Um, and that happens in this series. Like this is very relevant. Uh, kudos to Samantha Sloyan for being probably one of the most batshit, obnoxious, perfectly quackpotted villains ever in any series. Uh, she does a great job. She's the religious freak, <laughs> the, the freak job of Bev Keen in this series of, fucking perfect i hated her that's how fucking great she was like she's amazing she's very good um and every time she spoke i was like shut up bitch <laughs> but i mean that's how good she was sometimes i i should relay this out there there are times like you might hear me say things on here like oh i just wanted her to shut up or stuff that's actually a good thing for me when there are characters in a in a movie or a TV series or whatever that I absolutely cannot stand, you are nailing your role. Um, Katie Seagal in Sons of Anarchy, for example, as Gemma Teller. I hate Gemma Teller <laughs> like with a fucking passion. And I love Katie Seagal for it because she does the role so well. They are the kind of people that grind me that I just want to like punch them in the face. And it's like, yes, you are doing it. So... I need to put that out there. Samantha Sloan as as Bev Keen was ah, perfection. Um, other character, Hamish Linklater as the priest. Um, he was fucking great. Raul Coley is in this. Kate Siegel, Alex Esso, uh, Zach Guilford. All of them are awesome standouts. Like I said, my only complaint was that sometimes it got too talky. But other than that, Mike Mike Flanagan is doing what the fall of the house of usher next uh, with Mark Hamill is in this. Um, I can't wait till he completes this because everything he's released has been great. I still think house on haunted Hill is probably my favorite from him, but fuck, he knows how to make some good shit. So I'm looking forward to it. I think, I think it's going to be awesome. Like I said, not talking about mad God. That's next episode. I do want to quickly hit up, the video game world. Ooh. So I had some vacation time and surprisingly enough, summer game fest happened while I was on vacation. I was like, Oh, cool. So there, and there was Netflix geeked, which they announced cyberpunk edge runners and, uh, Wednesday Adams, um, the, the series for Netflix. I'll be talking about that in a minute. Um, but anyways, there was some of the video game stuff that came out. And one thing that caught my attention was the quarry. I remember hearing about it way back, but it just never, never actually sunk in. Well, then I saw, you know, the, during the, I, I think it was during the Xbox presentation. I think that's where I saw it. Anyways, I show this game, the quarry, it's coming to Xbox series X, PlayStation, PC, all that sort of good stuff and everything. And they show like a trailer of it, some gameplay. I was like, Ooh, that has me intrigued. So then what I did was the night it got released, like, I think it was like two days later or whatever. And I decided, I was like, okay, I'm going to watch a few Twitch streamers. I never do this, but I was just like, I'm going to watch a few Twitch streamers when it gets released at midnight and see what I think of the game. Well, I watched about 20 minutes into it, turned it off and bought the fucking game. <laughs> it's like, that's it time. And so, yeah, I bit down. I bought the deluxe edition of the game. 
Uh, you know, there's more blood and gore and stuff like that. There's add-ons. There's all these great stuff. They're coming out with 80 skins for the characters and everything. I'm like, I'm in. Um, it was really good. Uh, stars, like, genre veterans like Ted Raimi, Lance Henriksen is in it, uh, Lynn Shea, David Arquette, Ariel Winter, who was the voice of Carrie Kelly in the Dark Knight Returns two-part film that they re-released as a deluxe mega film. Uh, anyways, she's in that. Um, it... Brenda Strong is another one that's in it. Like, great voice acting. Uh, the mechanics of the game, very much like a Telltale game or like the previous game from these developers, uh, Until Dawn. Um, you know, it's it's a story. The characters are all done very well. Uh, the story itself is like a horror movie playing out in front of you and you basically, like a Telltale game, direct which way it's going to go. Uh, the voice acting itself is very solid. Uh, Ted Raimi gets to shine in this game. Like, he gets his moments, and it's awesome. Um, massive amount of nods and references to movies like The Evil Dead, Sleepaway Camp, The Burning. Um, shit, there was so many they were talking about. A, a, a couple of Lovecraft um, references and whatnot. Like, they're, they're, I guess there was shit that these creators were just pulling all from all over the place. Uh, the game can end in multiple ways i've heard there's up to like 186 different endings uh based on you know how many people will die how many should lived um i mean it, it's really it's awesome like the first time i played it because I'm, I'm on my second uh, story run through right now the first time i did it i saved everybody i wanted to except at the very end i made one boo-boo and three people died that i was like no i didn't want them to die <laughs> So my ending was as it was. Um, but like I said, like it, it's all based on choices and directions and stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. Definitely has replay value. Um, the cameos, the Easter eggs, all that sort of shit. It's fucking great. I'll say it now. It's it's a 10. <laughs> like It's a fun game. I, I've heard Until Dawn is actually better. Um, I haven't actually played Until Dawn. I do have it. I just haven't gotten to actually sitting down and playing it yet. I'm like that with video games. I will download them like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, Shredder's Revenge. Downloaded it the day it came out because it hit Game Pass. Still haven't actually hit start on that thing yet. I will soon, but it just, I'm like that. I, it's like, like I said earlier, you know, video collectors, you know, and, and book readers, you know, we have our stacks. Well, it's the same with me with video games. Finally, I'll make this quick. Um... During that week I was off, uh, like I said, Jenna Ortega, we finally saw what she looks like as Wednesday Adams. We also found out what Sherry Moon Zombie will look like as Lily Munster. Um, we got a Munsters trailer, we got a Wednesday Adams trailer. And here's my thing, we live in a world where the Adams family and the Munsters are coming back. Yay! I'm fucking happy about this. I grew up watching those shows as a kid. I have them on DVD, the full series of both shows. I loved them. I, I'm excited about this. Here's my thing. I saw the internet reaction to both Jenna Ortega and Sherry Moon Zombie. This is my fucking thing on this, okay? When your complaint about Wednesday Adams is that, one, it's not Christina Ricci, and two, she has bangs. Fuck off. Come on. Do you know how many versions of Wednesday Adams there has been? Like, we're not just talking Christina Ricci. And don't get me wrong. I love Christina Ricci as Wednesday Adams. I think she's fucking awesome. But 
First off, she wasn't the first. That was Lisa Loring. Secondly, we've had other television versions. We've had animated versions of Wednesday Adams. Christina Ricci is not the only one. Let it go. And let the poor woman move on to other to different acting like possibilities. She doesn't have to remain as Wednesday Adams for the rest of your fucking life. Sherry Moon Zombie is Lily Munster. Here's my thing on this. Okay, so people keep saying, Rob Zombie, all he ever does is cast his wife. Okay, well, you want to know something? He's not the only one that's done that. Uh, Dario Argenta, when he was with Dario... Dario Argenta... <laughs> okay, let me see if I can get this right, because the names are tricky. Dario Argento, <laughs> when he was dating Daria Nicolodi. There we go. Now I finally got it right. Yay me. Uh, give me a trophy, please. No, um... Anyways, he put her in everything. She was in every single film that he did up in that that bracket. There's how many husband and wife uh, duos and do uh, like in music and whatnot. Um, shit, I'm trying to think of the other one. Uh, was it Polanski used to put his wife in everything? Um, I mean, like the thing is, is this is not uncommon. Okay, like. And we knew a year ago Sherry Moon Zombie would be Lily Munster. I mean, the second Rob said he was doing the Munsters, everyone called it. They said, oh, Sherry will be Lily Munster. She was. But Rob never hid this fact. He's always said he wanted to do this. So, I mean, this isn't a surprise to anyone. Whether or not she nails it or not, I talked about it last year when she was first cast and the announcement first came out. I said, look, if there's one character I think she might be able to pull off, it'll be Lily Munster. I think. I'm hopeful. The thing is, there's been eight versions of Lily Munster. Two, I know, were in pilots that we never saw. Okay, so, sorry about your luck, ladies. But um, here's the thing. Six versions we have seen. Yes, I know Yvonne DiCarlo is, you know, everyone's epitome of Lily Munster. Yes, but again, much like I said about Christina Ricci, let others do it as well. Let others have a chance, okay? If you don't like it, move on from it. That's it. That's all there is to it. If you don't like it, move on. If you don't like Sherry Moon Zombie, then fine. Let it go. I'm not a huge fan of hers, but she, she's not intolerable for me. Like, I mean, like, I can deal with her. I love her, actually, in House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects. I think those are two of her best films. I've heard a lot of good things about 31. Yes, I haven't gotten to that one yet. But, um... And I liked her in Lords of Salem. She's not a horrible actress. If you give her the chance and you stop sitting there going, well, you know, Rob Zombie's got to put his wife in every fucking movie. Get past that. You can actually see that the woman, I mean, she's even said herself, she didn't want to be an actress. She kept doing it as a favor for Rob. It's actually him that wants that. And hey, you know what? I'm willing to give it a chance. I think... Rob, this is one thing. Rob Zombie has always said the Munsters was his passion. It was one of his biggest driving points. I can't see that he's going to fuck this one up. He said, and he, I mean, it's a PG movie, so he's keeping all his raunchy shit out of it. You know, he's, I want to give it a chance. Like I said, we live in a world, 2022, we are getting the Adams Family and the Munsters back on TV. Uh, theaters for the Munsters as well. But it's going to, I believe, Peacock on the same day. Or is it Hulu? I don't know. It might be Hulu. Um, either way, it's going to be on TV as well. This is the world we live in. Let's enjoy it. Let's stop ripping things apart. I mean, I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to. Nev Campbell is apparently not in Scream 6. Big fucking whoop-de-doo. I don't care. 
And the reason being, why is she not doing it? Oh, because she wanted $2 million for four minutes on, t- uh, on screen. Wait, what? Supposedly, that's the numbers. Now, I'm not, I, I'm not in the fucking room with these people. I don't know. But supposedly, she wanted $2 million for four minutes of screen time. Are you fucking kidding me? Look, Nev, I, you're a sweet girl. We like you. But you know what? Nobody watched fucking uh, The Craft for you. They watched it for Feruza Bulk. Um, Party of Five? I fuck, I didn't even know Nev Campbell was a part of that until Scream came out. And as for Scream, I, I hate to be the one to bear this bad news to you, but I watched it for the Ghostface Killer, not for Sidney Prescott. And Wild Things, let's not even get into that because everybody watched it for, what? what's her name? Denise, Cro- not Denise Crosby, Denise Richards. I almost said Denise Crosby. No. Um, Denise Richards. Everybody watched it for that, okay? Like, they didn't watch it for you. You're a supporting actress at best. I know. Everyone's like, oh, that's fucking blasphemy, man. Sydney Prescott's my life. No, I'm sorry. She's not the highlight of the fucking movie. I like fucking Courtney Cox better than I do Nev Campbell, and I hated Friends. That should tell you something, okay? So, I don't know. Just my opinion about it. But the thing is, is that's it. It's my opinion. And I wasn't blasting Nev Campbell for that. You know what I mean? Like, I saw it on the internet, and it's like, okay. I thought the point of Scream Scream 5 was to move past the legacy characters. That's why we killed Deputy Dewey. I hated them for that. But anyways. But, again, at the same time, I'm not... I'm not pissed off about it. Like it is what it is, but it's like, ah, when I, I, and Jenna Ortega, especially she's a young actress who's not coming up. She's done some great shit so far. She was in scream five. Hello. Link to link. Um, she was in X. I thought she was good in X. She's a solid actress. Let's fucking back off just because, Ooh, Wednesday Adams isn't supposed to have bangs. Oh, blow off already. Okay. And one last thing, one final last rant, and then we'll, get on to happier things no johnny depp will not be gomez adams you and your team johnny fans can fuck off it's he's it's luis guzman has already been cast in the fucking role okay i see this shit on the internet let's make johnny depp gomez adams no let's let johnny depp rot in hell okay i'm tired of hearing about johnny and amber and i don't give a shit about the whole fucking thing let's just fucking move on okay I know, I sound very angry today, and everyone's like, wow, who pissed in his cornflakes? No, I've had four weeks of letting this pent up inside, because, yay, health problems. You don't have to worry, I'm not dying anytime soon. But <laughs> but that was part of why I was MIA for a while, was, was dueling with something. Um, <laughs> but anyways, yes. I feel better. I feel refreshed. I feel good. I said a lot of things I probably shouldn't have. And hey, if you're still here, that's awesome. Let's move on to the trailer timeout. Yes, let's talk about... um, Oh, wait, hold on. (sighs) No, I'll wait till after the trailer. Uh, Trailer timeout when we return to our shared deadcast experience. I promise I'm not going to be as bitchy. I promise. I really do. (sighs) When we come back, we will... Delve into the 1974 film. Has a lot of Canadian connections. A lot of cool connections. Um, It's kind of a sick movie, actually. It's kind of cool for that. It's all about the coolness. Because I need to cool my jets. Man, I didn't realize I was going to get so angry. No, I wasn't actually angry. I just... 
there's been a lot of things I've seen on the internet over the past four weeks. And I'm like, why do I keep doing this to myself? <laughs> why do I log on? Why? Why? No, I tell you, but I will say, I'm going to put this out there. The days that I stay off the internet, I'm a very chill guy. I'm very relaxed, very happy. And then I log on and I see shit. There's been a lot of political shit lately that I'm not even fucking touching. You guys can have fun with that. Anyways, let's do the trailer timeout. And when we come back, we'll talk deranged. We're going to talk some fun stuff. I have to give a nod to a 40th anniversary after the trailer. Back in a splat, kids. This is where we must stop. For beyond is the work of madness. Death! The nightmare of insane murder and lingering death. Deranged. For Mary, it was only the beginning. For Christine, it was already too late. For Dolly, the worst was yet to come. And only Mrs. Cobb knew what he would do next. Sometimes it's true. The story of a trail of butchery so brutal that newspapers refuse to print its horrifying details. When the horror becomes unbearable, it is too late to scream. All right, welcome back, boils and ghoulies and lurkers and zombies uh all of you staring at your social media thinking you're important no i'm i'm just fucking with you i'm that guy i've always said i'm that guy like i don't know how to express love you know what i mean i'm not that i'm a romantic failure i admit it so um sometimes i say things that seem mean but that's actually my way of saying i appreciate you so keep staring at your phone um no uh before we jump into this week's review, though, I do want to give a nod to two films that both hit their 40th anniversary. One was a commercial success and the other was not. Um, the first one, Blade Runner. Ridley Scott's Blade Runner came out uh, June 25th, 1982. Uh, pretty much beloved by many. Uh, considered probably one of the best cyberpunk movies, if not the best. I know everyone's like, The Matrix is my favorite movie. The Matrix is what cyberpunk is all about. Um, you're not wrong. I like Blade Runner more for the aesthetic and the philosophy behind the cyberpunk genre. But yes, Matrix is nice. Matrix has too much ghost in the shell attached to it, though. But that being said, like, I, I love The Matrix, so... Don't get me wrong, I fucking love those movies, but <laughs> Blade Runner is a little bit higher. And the other film, the other film was considered a commercial flop when it was released. John Carpenter's The Thing also released June 25th, 1982. And yeah, 
fuck you. If you were alive in 1982 and you were a reviewer and you put this movie down, suck on it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, everybody's free of their opinion. I get it. You're allowed to be wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but The Thing is probably one of the top five greatest films of all time. Um, why they didn't, why, why people didn't catch on to that back then? I'll never know. Uh, I personally haven't reviewed it for this show yet. You guys know that. And there's a reason for that. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I have fears. No, I don't want to fuck up the review. That's my thing. That Suspiria episode, the one that people always tell me you're too hard on yourself. No, I'm not. I know why I don't like that episode. I don't want to do that for the thing. The thing is... It's precious to me, okay? <laughs> I'm like Gollum, my precious. No, but seriously, like the thing is just too damn good of a movie. And if I'm going to do that review, it's got to be done just right. So when the moment comes and I'm ready for it, I will do it. Until then, let's jump into 124, episode 124. The movie Deranged. Yes, Deranged. Confessions of a Necrophile, although not everyone refers to that second part of the title. It is actually what the movie was released as, um, but a lot of people just call it Deranged, for whatever reason. Anyways, it was released March 20th, 1974 in the United States. March 15th, 1974 in Canada, specifically Toronto. I believe it was at a film festival that had its premiere here in Canada, and within five days it was it showed up in the United States. Now, keep in mind, this is a Canadian horror flick, so it makes sense. It got its premiere here before the United States. America, man, we rule. We deserve everything. Yes, well, you rule so much lately in politics. Um, anyways, moving on. The film is directed by Jeff Gillen and Alan Ormsby. Now, Jeff is more known for acting. As a matter of fact, um, Deranged was his only directing appearance. Okay, that's the only film he's ever directed. Other than that, he's known for acting. Uh, films like Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. Remember that one? Death Dream. Remember that one? A Christmas Story. Remember that one? And Police Academy 5 Assignment Miami Beach. Try not to remember that one. Uh, <laughs> anyways, no, it's actually, it's an okay film. Uh, but uh, Jeff, unfortunately, did pass away at the age of 52 in 1995. So, yeah. Like I said, he did some acting. Uh, He's more known for that than he was for his direction. However, Alan Ormsby. Yes, Alan too. He only directed three films, actually. He wasn't a big director either. Uh, He did this one, Deranged. He did Great Masquerade, and he did Popcorn. You know that film with Jill Sholin and Dee Wallace? Uh, Wasn't credited for that one, though, because Mark Harrier got those credentials because Mark was brought in to replace Alan. Um, for whatever reason, I guess they felt he wasn't getting the job done or whatever. Uh, Alan did get the writing credits though for popcorn. Well, sort of, um, (laughs) he went under the name of Todd Hackett, probably because he was replaced as a director. So he didn't really want his name attached to it. Um, but the thing is, is that Alan, he also did some makeup, I think on like four films, which one of these, uh, deranged was one of them. Um, Death Dream. No, not Death Dream. He didn't do Death Dream. Uh, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. Hey, did makeup for four films. I remember that. But anyways, he's known for his writing. And that's the thing. And other films that he wrote for, aside from Deranged, uh, was Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. Again, I said, remember that one. Uh, Death Dream. Cat's 
cat people porky's two the next day the substitute and he did episodes of the shows nash bridges and the district and as i already stated this film was written by him as well so he did this one um produced by tom carr and sort of uncredited bob clark Ooh, there's that name hold on to that name for a moment uh anyways with tom tom worked as a concert promoter uh for acts like led zeppelin three dog night the temptations and rod stewart that's where he got his money to fund this movie was through being a concert promoter the money he made from promoting specifically led zeppelin and three dog night although he also did other bands um or like artists and whatnot that money that he made from that is what paid for this movie so in a way led zeppelin and three dog night are responsible for deranged that's awesome uh as for bob well we all know bob uh <laughs> bob gave us the immaculate black christmas okay like and he gave us a christmas story and he gave us death dream and he gave us porkies and baby geniuses but like i said remember what i when i was talking about you know uh jeff and alan and i was saying remember this one remember this one these movies come up a lot in this block here um including now our cinematographer jack mcgowan now here's the funny thing about jack mcgowan his first film was a movie called zat z-a-a-t I know Z Z it's Z in the U S well, it's Z and everywhere else. Uh, <laughs> um, anyways, this film is, uh, about a scientist who transforms himself into like this aquatic kind of monster or whatever. The tagline on the poster itself says is the monster man is the monster man fish or devil. Um, cheesy tagline for a cheesy movie i think it's rated at like two out of ten on fucking imdb it's not very highly rated um but the poster is awesome like it, the the picture of the monster is greatly illustrated and whatnot but jack also worked on other films like children shouldn't play with dead things death dream and another movie we, uh this is cool i i like the how the whole episode comes full circle right did a movie called The Intruder from 1975. It starred Mickey Rooney. It also starred Yvonne DiCarlo, who was probably the most famous Lily Munster, and Ted Cassidy, who was Lurch from The Addams Family. Oh, you see how that all came back into this episode where I was recently talking about? Yeah, you get it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it comes full circle. Anyways, um, I also should say, by the way, me poking fun at the United States versus Canada thing, that's a constant with me. Uh, I, I love the United States. I love Canada, okay? Like, I I love to poke fun. Like I said, I'm that guy. I don't know how to show love. I don't know how to be Mr. Romantic. Yeah, well, so I've been told anyways. Um, the music for this film, you heard a bit of it playing in the background and whatnot. Uh, Carl Zittrer. I've talked about him on this show before. He's famous for doing the score uh, uh, for films like Black Christmas. Oh, fuck, I love Black Christmas. I love how that movie that movie comes up a lot. Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. That is a good movie, by the way. I shouldn't mention that. Death Dream, another movie I've been mentioning a lot. Prom Night from 1980. Oh, there's that Canadian film. Everybody, I've heard so many people say, the first Prom Night sucks. Uh, no, it doesn't. It's just another slasher flick that came out at that time when we were doing all these slasher flicks around holidays and events. Whatever. It's actually a really good flick. Leslie Nielsen and Jamie Lee Curtis are in it. Suck off. But um, Carl also did music for the first two Porky's films. And yes, he did A Christmas Story. 
like I said, there's like this circle of films that all keep coming back up. And hey, while we're at, while we're on this, maybe I should add. Do you know who did the special effects for this film? The makeup and whatnot. You know who it is? Tom Savini. Yeah, I don't have to go into that. You guys know who Tom is. Let's move on to our starring cast. Okay, so starring cast. Let's start with the big one, the one that makes this movie. If it if this actor doesn't sell it, this movie is a failure. That simple. Robert Blossom, Roberts Blossom, I believe is his name. Is it Robert or Roberts? I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> I do in the review. I can't fucking tell you what his name is. No, um, Roberts Blossom as Ezra Cobb. Ezra Cobb is our our main antagonist, I guess. I guess that's he's sort of a protagonist, antagonist. I don't know. Uh, Sixty acting credits to the man's name, including Close, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Christine, uh, Doc Hollywood, Death Balls, The Quick and the Dead, and Home Alone. And you're like, wait, he's in Home Alone? Yes, he's Old Man Marley. Oh, see how. I won't get into Home Alone and all that. I talked all about that when I did, you know, uh, Dial Code Paranoel. I'm not going to talk about it now. But anyways, he was Old Man Marley. That's a good thing. Um, After, I I should say in his younger years, after a year at Harvard, he left school to join the army and he wanted to serve during World War II. Uh, There is some weird report apparently that came out, though, claiming that he was sent to an army mental ward after he claimed conscientious uh, objector status, which that uh, conscientious objector status is basically when they refuse to bear arms based on a matter of conscience versus moral or religious grounds. So supposedly he wanted to get into World War, like he wanted to fight for World War Two, but then when he got there, he didn't want to bear arms. That's supposedly the story. Who really knows? Um I'm sure the military knows, but, you know, they're not going to tell us. Uh, <laughs> he won four awards, though, uh, in terms of acting. He won what's called the Obies. They're off-Broadway awards for stage acting he'd done. And he was also a playwright and a poet. Uh, in 2003, he fully retired as an actor. Uh, 1999 was his last film, but he was still doing stage work. He retired in 2003, focused on his poetry until his passing in 2011. He was 87 when he passed away. Quick note, just to point this out. So Roberts Blossom gets the role of Ezra Cobb, but Harvey Keitel and Christopher Walken both auditioned for the role as well. The thing is, the producer felt they were still a bit too young for the part. So when Roberts came along and auditioned for the role, they were like, that's our man. And he got the role and the rest is history, as they say. Uh, moving on to Cassette Lee as Amanda Cobb, Ma Cobb, whatever. She only had 24 acting roles. She was a Canadian actress. Um, she was in an interesting film uh, in 1969 called A Change of Mind. I haven't seen this film, but I've heard a lot about it, especially over the last couple of years, because obviously we always have to keep race issues in current news. But anyways, this film is about a white man who has his brain transplanted into a black man's skull. And when he returns to his loved ones and his friends, like the film, the whole the whole basis of the film is to make a point of showing how people reacted to him and how it affected him, how basically showing a theme of how 
how people will react differently towards others of different skin colors or heritages. Um, and that was what this whole film was about, was uh, the fact that it was a white man's brain in a black man's body. And because people saw the black skin, how they treated him differently, even though he was technically the same man. And I guess, it, like I said, I haven't seen this movie. It's, it's one that I, I do have on the list uh, because I am curious to see this because apparently like Cassette, uh, Cassette Lee, she plays uh, the man's wife. And it's supposed to be that when he comes back home to her that she sees him in a different light. Even though it's the same man, just a different shell. It's almost kind of like a ghost in the shell kind of idea where it's like, you know, the, the mind of the person is the same, but they're in a different body. But this was this was more pointed towards the whole race issues, especially in the late 60s in the United States. So that's why this film came out and everything. But um, Leslie Nielsen was also in the film. So let's keep it Canadian at the same time. But um, yeah, I, it's one I, I've heard about and I haven't seen yet. And hopefully I get to it one day. We all know, I, I like I said, I don't rush to see things. <laughs> I get to them when I get to them. A wizard is never late. Remember that. Um, Leslie Carlson as Tom Sims. He's our narrator for this movie. Uh, he did pass away in 2014, but before doing so, he was in some favorite films. Uh, we're talking Videodrome. He was very convex in Videodrome. He was in The Dead Zone. He was uh, in The Fly. He was Dr. Cheever's. He was in A Christmas Story and Black Christmas. I uh, also showed up in TV shows like The X-Files, Highlander, Friday the 13th, The Series, and The Twilight Zone. So, yeah. But he's the narrator. He's the guy that he's like every so often in the movie, he's like narrating what going on in Ezra Cobb's mind and whatnot. Yeah, that's him. Um, moving on to Robert Warner as Harlan Coots. Uh, he was in films like The Cult, which is uh, based on the Manson killings and whatnot. Uh, Octoman. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> he was in this film. Uh, he was in Black Christmas, and he was in the movie uh, Funeral Home from 1980. That's a not too bad flick. It's actually pretty good. Uh, and then Jenny Coots is uh, played by Marsha Diamond. Marsha was in a lot of TV movies, but she was in Black Christmas. And she was in a few TV episodes uh, from shows that include Puppets Who Kill. She was in one episode of that and one episode of My Babysitter's a Vampire in 2012. Now, she just passed away last year in 2021 at the age of 95 bravo like long life and did some pretty cool shit too so that's awesome our next actress marion waldman as maureen selby and if you recognize her in this film it might be because she played the role of mrs mac in bob clark's black christmas yeah she was the the sorority mom the sorority woman uh, i forget what they fucking call that she was like uh, like the one that oversaw all the girls and uh, god damn it i'm having a blackout all of a sudden here from talking black christmas too much who knows uh she only acted in six films and she did pass away in 1985 at the age of 60 but she's mrs mac and she's maureen selby in this she's great in this movie by the way definitely uh one of the standout 
performances. That's not our Ezra Cobb. Three more to go, kids, and then we're on our way. Uh, Mickey Moore as Mary Ransom. She was in films like The Vindicator and Short Circuit 2. Pat Orr as Sally May. This is her only film. It was her acting debut, and then she stopped. Uh, and finally, Robert McKeady as the sheriff. And he was in Cannibal Girls from 1973. That's an interesting flick. And he was also in Summer's Child in 1979. Haven't seen it, heard a lot about it. It's on the list. The runtime is an hour and 24 minutes long. Rated R for violence and gore and frightening scenes and nudity. The budget was $200,000. Couldn't find the gross, but I did find this very interesting. Filmed in Oshawa, Ontario, Canada, and the surrounding area. The synopsis for this film? A deranged rural farmer becomes a grave robber and a murderer after the death of his possessive mother, whose corpse he keeps, among others, as his companion in a decaying farmhouse. Almost sounds like Psycho, but it's not. Um, <laughs> and for the next segment, I'm calling it this. this. This is me being creative, and you're like, you're not that creative, Paul, but hey. For this segment, I'm calling this, maybe Buzz McAllister was on to something, okay? Um, <laughs> I mean, not really, but I don't know, maybe Buzz just had some of the facts wrong. Um, but I mean, he, here's the thing. With Deranged, its plot is loosely based on the crimes of Ed Gein. Okay, so I said how some people don't refer to the whole confessions of a necrophile thing. Well, there's a reason for that. Okay, because see, like with Deranged, the story follows Ezra Cobb. We know that. Ezra is our main character. He's a middle-aged man in a rural Midwestern community farming land area who begins a string of serial murders and grave robberies after the death of his mother, who is a religious fanatic who raised him to be a misogynist. Jeez, all these trigger words. But <laughs> anyways, uh, so they say the film is loosely based on Ed Gein, but the title then would be misleading because Gein never experiment, experimented in necrophilia, at least not that we know of. And a necrophile, most of the time people will say necrophilia is, you know, an obsession with having sex with the dead. But it can also be defined as an obsessive fascination with death and corpses. So maybe, but... I think that's why, as time's gone on, a lot of people just call it deranged. And even with the trailer, they even call it deranged. They don't call it Confessions of a Necrophile. I think it's because, he, as much as it's supposed to be loosely based on Gein, Ed Gein never did none of that. He was just, he was psychotic. But, okay, here's the thing. Maybe you don't know. So let's do a quick history check on Ed Gein, okay? He's also known as the Butcher of Plainfield or the Plainfield ghoul and that's because his hometown was plainfield wisconsin maybe he was a packers fan and that would explain everything but no um so he's a killer he's a body snatcher he's grave robber whatnot from wisconsin <laughs> packers fans suck anyways uh his he did all his crimes like in his small little town but they gained widespread widespread uh, widespread what the fuck is widespread? Anyways, widespread notoriety in 1957. 
And that was when authorities discovered that he had exhumed corpses from local graveyards. And he did weird things with them. Think Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the couch, you know, or the sofa made out of bones and they do weird things. Well, that's what he was doing. He was making like these trophies and these weird things out of their bones and skin. He also confessed to killing two women, uh, Mary Hogan in 1954 and Bernice Warden in 1957. In 1968, he was found guilty of the murder of Bernice Warden, but he was also found to be legally insane. So instead of going to prison, he was remanded to a psychiatric institution. He died at the age of 19 at the age of 77 died in 1984 in Mendota Mental Health Institute, uh, just died of natural causes, respiratory failure, I believe was what I read. Here's the thing, he was alive when this movie came out. Uh, He was alive when the movie was made. So if he ever got word of it, whether it went to his fucking head or not, who the fuck cares? Uh, He is buried next to his family in the Plainfield Cemetery, but it's an unmarked grave. Um... So that's your that's your really quick version of Ed Gein. <laughs> so that's what this movie was based on, very loosely. Um, and if you you're wondering, okay, so what what caused Paul to want to review this 1974 flick? Well, here's the thing: if you remember a few episodes back when I was talking about the movie Censor. And I said how they were calling Deranged a video nasty, though it wasn't actually a video nasty because technically the censors passed it. So why were they calling it a video nasty when it wasn't that whole confusing bit? Anyways, that's what inspired me to jump back into this movie and give it a shot, give it a whirl again, whatnot. Is this movie a video video nasty? No, it is not. It did have its battle with the censors, though, but it's not a video, video nasty. In terms of the censors, so it has an R rating. It, its final rating is R, except now in some of the more recent releases of it, I think it's actually unrated because all the shit they took out, they put back in. But anyways, um, in order to get that R rating from the MPAA, several elements had to be taken out. Um Scenes that included uh, Mary being murdered. It was a more extensive uh, murder sequence. And then there was this whole dissection sequence in which Ezra is mutilating a corpse. Uh, The scene that some of us call the brain uh, ice cream scooping scene. Looks like he's using a scoop and he's scooping out the brain. There's a bit of an eyeball popping that goes on as well and whatnot. So those scenes, yeah, they were taken out. The UK theatrical version was heavily cut for the gore and violence. Um... Because if not, it would have been on the video nasties list. Um, in 1998, the video release from Exploited was cut by 18 seconds. Uh, they took uh, extra shots out of the bloodstained breasts from the gutting of a woman's body during the climax of the film. That being Sally May, if I remember correctly, they took the blood off of her. Like they took the shots out of her, her bloodied breasts and whatnot. Um, In 2013, Arrow in the UK finally released the uncut version with everything put back in. And in North America, it was Kino Lorber that their release took all the scenes that were cut out and they restored them all. Um, The MGM Midnight Movies version, that was the double disc that had Motel Hell on one side and Deranged on the other. That is missing the eyeball and the brain scenes. Those scenes were taken out. That's how I saw it for the first time. 
But here's the funny thing. So if you want it, <laughs> so much connecting the dots with this shit. But if you have the Blue Underground release of Death Dream, there is a small documentary about Tom Savini's early work on there. And those scenes that were taken out of the MGM Midnight Movies version is on that disc. So technically I have the whole movie because I have both of those. But like I said, the Midnight Movies disc, that's how I first discovered this movie. It came out in 2002 and I think I got it a year later. And the thing was, was first off, my friend Christy, she had bought the DVD. I think if I remember correctly, we were at Best Buy for a Boxing Day sale and she saw it. And that's if I remember correctly, that's when she bought it. She watched it and then she lent them to me because I wanted to see Motel Hell. I had never seen it up to that point. Never heard of Deranged at that point, but I was like, oh, well, whatever. I've got two for one. Might as well watch them both. Motel Hell was an instant hit with me. I loved it right away. But Deranged took me a bit for that one to warm up to me or for me to warm up to it, I should say. Years later, I got my own copy of the DVD and I still have it today, actually. The thing with Deranged is this. This is one of those few times where when I hear the word gritty attached to it, well, yeah, this time it doesn't feel out of place. It doesn't feel like someone talking about a DC movie. Oh, it's dark and gritty. No, uh, this this movie is grimy. It is. It has a dirty feeling to it. It's very midnight movie house, grindhouse esque for sure. Like it's just, it's got that tone to it, and that is a good thing. I'm not criticizing it for that. It. This is the good thing. The thing is to remember is when approaching this movie. Yes, it's a horror film, but it's more of a dark comedy. And you have to keep that macabre sense of humor in mind. See, when I watched it for the first time, I wasn't ready for that. I walked into it expecting a full-blown horror film and then was wondering what the fuck this movie was doing. I didn't realize it was meant to have a warped sense of levity and twistedness to it. So the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, one, I feel like I need to take a shower after watching this. And two... um. Is this what it was supposed to be? But as I started to realize what the movie was doing and what its purpose was, I was like, oh, you know, sometimes I think sometimes it's actually better to give every movie a second watch. I know that sounds stupid, but some movies will grab you the first time when you watch it and it's like, boom, that's it. You're in love with it. But then there's other films where it's like Psycho Goreman was another one for me where the first time I watched it, I didn't. It's expectation, right? I've, I've said this before on this show. It's expectation. We need to stop having expectations when we go into films, but we do it. We're, it's a natural thing with us. And Psycho Goreman, this film, other films, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is another one. You know, you don't grasp it at first because it's not what you expected. And then when you start to understand what it's doing and you get the notion that it's, you know, in those cases, all three cases, it's not as much horror, but more just a really dark joke being told. You actually learn to appreciate it a lot more. And speaking of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, this film, Deranged, has been lauded by many as being the best companion piece to that original chainsaw flick. Uh, same aesthetic, same grindy, gritty look, same grim humor. And both films have been linked to Ed Gein in one way or another. Um, I will say, this is just sort of my side opinion and whatnot, while Sally Hard Hardesty's screaming can be somewhat strenuous on the eardrums, um, especially in that final 20 minutes of the original Texas Chainsaw, let's be honest, I think it still might be the superior film of the two, you know, between this and that, but... 
let's let's not downgrade deranged i mean it is still a prime example of a great film done with some good writing and off feeling that gets left with the audience once it's done and that is a good thing like that's what horror films should do i actually saw a comment online just recently where the debate was between halloween 3 and the other halloween sequels which was better and someone was saying i wish we would have gone more with a halloween three thing because Halloween eventually became a tired slasher trope that just gets done over and over again and this and that and it's not scary anymore which that part I have to agree with the the Halloween movies are not scary anymore that the first one was great second one whatever we should have kept letting them do the whole um the the anthology idea because Part three is fucking amazing. But then once part four started and we got further on into that whole series, a lot of those films became the same thing over and over. It's not scary anymore. With Deranged, yes, you feel off, you feel dirty, you feel, ugh, you're disturbed. But that's what it should be. It's a horror film. Not everyone these days knows how to do this kind of horror film. And as the old folks say, I know I'm one of them, but anyways... They just don't make them like they used to anymore. A lot of films these days are not technically scary. They rely on jump scares. This film doesn't rely on that. This this film relies on the acting. And overall, with everyone, the acting is great. But this whole movie works because Robert Blossoms makes it work. It is fucking perfect. Um, and I have to add, the, the idea of the narrator, played by Leslie Carlson... It makes the movie feel like a 60 minutes report on TV. And I feel like it works awesome in this movie. It actually, it's actually some of the more humorous parts to the film, but it's Robert that actually really drives this movie. His, his Ezra is divine. He's just perfectly toned in the film. And what I mean by that is he's not over the top, but he's not subdued to a dead pulse either. Like he balances his level of crazy just right. Manages to pull off a creepy vibe. Very convincing, convincingly. Um, there's the scene, <laughs> it's so mild, but it's just, it just highlights it perfectly. There's a scene when he's, he's talking to his dead mother and he's got the, the skin that he's, he's stripped off of, uh, off of a face and he puts the skin over his face and he's talking to his mom through the face, like through the skin of the face and with leather face vibes on point. But I mean, he just does it so well. It's not, it's not to the point where you're like, holy fuck. But at the same time, it's like, oh, that, uh, your skin crawls, which skin and skin, right? It, I mean, it does what it should just keep them away from a shovel and a pail of salt. Damn it. But anyways, no. Um, and we got to highlight the makeup and special effects of Tom Savini. They, they obviously help with the film. Savini said in an interview, I thought this was kind of cool. He said in an interview that the corpses in the film, they're actually made using plastic skull kits that, you know, they glued, they were glued to the bodies. That was the bodies were built from chicken wire and paint painted cotton. And I thought that was so cool. Like who would think of doing that? The faces were created by taking plaster castings of various relatives of the crew including Tom Carr's wife. Like that's fucking awesome. Like, yeah, you're the producer. You gave us all the money. Yeah. We're going to use your wife for a sec here. Let's get her face likeness. And that's talking about, she has a cameo that she'd never planned on, but, um, 
it's just little things like that really made the movie work. Now, I will say the pacing of the film, okay, for the most part, it's decent. Uh, it's uh, The movie's an hour and 24 minutes long, doesn't overstay its welcome, but a bit of that middle act kind of slows down somewhat. Um, the ending is great for the movie, though. Holy shit. And I'm pretty sure this ending in this film, when the barn is discovered with the hanging corpse of Sally, you know, that, and all the different corpses and whatnot, I'm almost positive that that helped inspire Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses when, when they when they discover the the bodies, um, when the oh, what is it the one the one father is looking for his daughter and whatnot and they discover that the the what is it the shed or whatnot that has all the bodies hanging. I'm sure that this movie inspired that. Um, it, I almost positive of it. Uh, the score for the film is yet another gem from Carl Zittriver, but I will say I black Christmas still reigns supreme in my book. Just everything he did with that score for black Christmas was just on point. Like, I mean, just, I remember reading about all the different methods he went with, like, you know, smashing things off pianos and whatnot, just to get those sounds. And that's the thing. And I believe, if I'm correct, it was Joe Bob Briggs, actually, who said something about, like, with horror scores, they're not your conventional scores. Like, they have to make a feeling. Like, it's not like you just have, like, an orchestra and stuff like that, like John Williams doing Star Wars or, you know, Superman or whatnot, which are great scores, don't get me wrong. But with horror scores, sometimes it's just loud bangs or it's... It's, you know, playing with the insides of piano strings. It's smashing things off buckets. It's uh, taking saws to wood and stuff. Almost like a Einstrzenden Nubatten album. You know what I mean? Like, it's very industrial. And so sometimes with horror scores, it's just because of the way it's done. I'm glad that finally, what is it I read recently? That the Academy Awards are finally going to start acknowledging scores from video games and movies. Like, or more so than movies, but from video games as well. And when I both fucking time, because there's a lot of work that goes into different scores. And honestly, I think horror movies were doing this well before anyone else, the outside of the box kind of music. So, um, yeah. So black Christmas for me, still chef's kiss. Uh, in terms of reception for this film, this film gets more favorable reviews than not mostly. <laughs> there's the odd person out there that doesn't like this movie. Um, but TV guide awarded the film three out of five stars. That's pretty good. 60%, uh, praising blossoms performance and calling it an accurately recounted horror film inspired by the life of crazed Wisconsin farmer, Ed Gein, who actually murdered skinned and preserved body parts of dozens of women in the late fifties. It's a sick little film, but told with a disturbing sense of humor. Yes. And again, like I said, first time I watched this, I wasn't expecting the humor aspect of it. And I was like, what is this movie doing? Um, Joel Harley of horror DNA said, adorable is an odd word to describe a psychopath murderer and necrophile, but he's very sweet at times. I particularly liked his date night suit, like a demented version of Psycho or particularly melodramatic prequel to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's an extremely odd film. Odd? Definitely. <laughs> Adorable? Yeah, I think he's right. That is an odd word to use. But, again, Roberts Blossom pulls it off just right. 
I love this quote, though. This is what I decided to grab as my final quote about this movie. Nothing quite says Happy Mother's Day like a little deranged. And that's from Your Skin Will Crawl uh, writer Matt Suzuka. Absolutely. <laughs> like, a lot of people will look to Psycho or Texas Chainsaw Massacre for those weird family vibes. Recently, um, one that's come to light, The Baby. Um yeah, that's a weird one. Mother's Day is another one. Um, Friday the 13th even, you know, uh, there's a weird connection between mother and son there. But this one is something else. Now, Rotten Tomatoes has the movie at a paltry 40%, while the audience score is at least a bit higher at 57%. IMDb has it at a 6.4 out of 10, with 7 actually being the highest voted ranking at 25.8% of the votes. Six is the next highest rating. Podcast zero rating. Let's make this short and sweet. Sometimes I do these rating things and they go on way too long. So I'm going to do this short and sweet. This movie will make your skin crawl. You will feel dirty when it is over. That's okay. It's supposed to do that. You want it to do that. Um, there are moments that are just unsettling. But again, that's what we want. We need more horror movies like this. Uh, it's not a perfect film. There's some pacing issues in the second act, like I said, tend to squabble the film a bit, but the ending payoff is great, and Robert Blossoms is the highlight of this film, as only he should be. If he doesn't sell it, the movie's a failure. This is one of those movies that will stick with you in all the wrong ways, and you should love it for it. Seven hanging corpses out of ten. That is the rating I'm giving this movie. I, it's just... There's something about this movie. And when I rewatched it uh, before doing the review for this and whatnot, I got I to gotta say, you know, I think older films just get it. I, I think they understood that a horror movie, while you want it, you want it to be enjoyable, you want it to be fun, but it has to disturb. It has to make you feel off. It has to make you think about things. It has to... Your reflections on it should not be, wow, that was a great adventure flick. I'm so glad Frodo was able to make it to Mordor and throw the ring in the fire. No, that's those are different kinds of films. This is something that when you walk away from it, you should be going, God damn, that guy's fucking sick. Like, I'm glad I don't know anyone like that in my life. Or do I? You know what I mean? Like, you never know. Like, maybe... You know, maybe you're working at the the local grocery store and guy bagging your groceries for you is some fucking sick psycho and you don't know it. Let that sink in for a minute next time you go to Target or fucking Walmart. Anyways, um, <laughs> but no, uh, it's just these are the kinds of movies that, yeah, they're gritty, they're grimy, they're grindhousey, they don't have the greatest production value, but fuck they stick with you and that's what a horror film should do and that's kind of why i wanted to jump into this one was you know after talking about it you know in in my quick review of censor it made me realize i was like this was one of these movies where i actually did feel disturbed after watching it you know it's it's up there with martyrs it's up there with kids kids is a fucking disturbing movie if you've ever seen that one um 1995, I think, was the year that came out. Rosario Dawson's first film. But, yeah, Kids is... Eesh. Kids is one that, actually, I still have a hard time re-watching. Believe it or not, like, there are films that I... I 
actually will intentionally not watch again. And that's kind of been one of them, uh, <laughs> which I kind of want to rewatch it just to remind myself why it stuck with me. But at the same time, it stuck with me. So do I really want to rewatch it? Um, but yeah, deranged is, is it's a footnote in horror that should be remembered. And at the same time, I might agree with the whole idea that it's a companion piece to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think TCM, a little bit higher up on the scale, but it's not that farther apart from this. Like I said, this is a 7 out of 10. This is a solid movie. It's great. And Robert Blossom's, is it... I'll never know because I saw it written 3,000 different ways on the internet and they're probably all misspellings. It's either Robert's Blossom or Robert Blossoms. <laughs> and I saw it written both ways on the internet and I'm like, what's his name? Please someone tell me what his name is. No, um, either way, he's a gem. He's old man Marley, but he is Ezra Cobb and that's awesome. And on that note, thank you for listening. Thank you for waiting. I know I made you guys wait another month. I don't want to go into details. Just a little health thing that unfortunately was affecting the voice. So, I mean, if it was like, I, you know, I lost a foot or something like that. Hey, maybe I, you know, do some taxidermy on the foot and make a trophy out of it. But when it's the throat and it's the voice and I can't talk properly and I'm coughing a bit here and there. And no, it wasn't COVID. So you can fuck off with that. But it was a thing. It was something that I was like... Okay, we'll wait till this passes. And it finally passed, and I'm back. So, that's that. Where to stream it from? You know, the usual spots. Spotify, Apple, Google, Red Circle, Player FM, Podcast Addict. There's a whole bunch. Seriously, go on your little smartphone there. You know, the thing you're always staring at. And download a podcast app, and I'm sure you'll find the show on there. In terms of social media... Facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero is probably the one I use the, use the most. Uh, then there's the Instagram account as well. Twitter, you toxic little hell you, but I do have an account on there. So if you want to follow it over there, go knock yourself out. But yeah, Twitter's all about the politics and it fucking bothers me. Cause it's like, you know what it is about politics? You know why they bother me? side rant here and you're like oh no not again but (laughs) here's my thing with politics i don't mind if people want to talk about it but what bothers me is that so many people that are out doing the cancel culture thing or they're bitching about this or they're bitching about that or the fucking supreme court this and the u.s that and uh russia and ukraine this and all this stuff are all the people sitting on their asses on their couches watching their fucking kardashians on tv and tweeting like they care no you don't stop it okay i think that's what bothers me um and i'm not saying that's everybody there are people that are actively out there doing things and those are the people that probably aren't using social media you know why because they're busy doing something um so i think that's my thing and i think especially twitter i know twitter seems like it's the most vocal of of the three let's say instagram's all about you know puppies kittens and (laughs) Hey, look at my collection of horror movies and DVDs and my vinyl records and my books. And, you know, some people like to post half nude pictures of themselves. Okay, fine, whatever. But 
Instagram is more that, um, a lot less politics. And in Facebook, well, Facebook is just censor hell now. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you say something that we think is offensive, we're going to censor you. It, it, it's actually probably the biggest format for cancel culture because it even cancels its own fucking users. But um, <laughs> that's my opinion on social media. But uh, yeah, so I'm on the three if you're interested. And as I said, episode 125, which will come a lot sooner than a month. Don't worry. Calm down. Uh, from 2022. Very recent flick. Uh, it's a flick. It's a flick, all right. It's something. Uh, from the brain of Phil Tippett, who is responsible for special effects in movies like Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Jurassic Park, Howard the Duck, personal favorite of mine, Mad God will be the next featured review. Um, I, I'm i not going to lie. Uh, episode 125 almost became deranged. Because after I watched Mad God, I was ready to talk about it right away. But I want to let people have time to watch it. I know not everyone has Shudder, and that's the thing. And I keep trying to... I'm telling even my friends that don't have Shudder. I'm like, get Shudder. Get the seven-day trial just so you can watch Mad God. Because it is something else. Not a normal movie gonna shut up i'll stop right there yeah you know what it's time to cue up my best friend you know another man who knows how to insult my ego and make me feel like shit go ahead al tell him you need to shut the fuck up you're an idiot